Welcome back to the Tamili Talks podcast. I'm your host, Tamili, and I'm here with a black boss, okay? I'm here with Miss Leslie Anderson, and she is the president and CEO of New Jersey Redeveloping Authority. So shout out to you. Welcome, Ms. Leslie. Thank you so much, Miss Tamia. It is my pleasure to be here with you today. I'm excited uh, to be a part of the podcast. I'm so very proud of you and all the wonderful things that you're doing. So I can't wait to share and nothing is off limits. So ask away. Okay. Thank you. I'm so glad you were able to come on because I, you know, my show is about black excellence and I feel as though when I thought of you, I thought about a black boss. And before the show, we talked about you being the CEO and president of New Jersey Redevelopment Authority. So can you get a little bit into that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the Redevelopment Authority was created in 1996. Uh, it is our 25th year. I have been with, the, I probably shouldn't say this to you, but I've been with the Redevelopment Authority since inception. I started out as the deputy executive director. I moved to executive director. And in 2018, I changed my title to president and CEO. And what we are is a state financing authority. And what that means is we're state bank. So I go into some of the most distressed communities in the state of New Jersey and create magic. I take old dilapidated properties and bring them back on the rolls and finance a real estate development. So I create commercial space. I create residential space. And during this pandemic, just very quickly, uh, and this is what you have to do when you're a boss, you have to shift and adapt to changing conditions. Uh, We created a program to help small businesses pay their rent. Uh, I just got a shout out from Governor Murphy yesterday. He actually referred to me as fabulous. Uh, (laughs) And one of the businesses highlighted was LaVey's Sweet Shop uh, in my hometown of Plainfield, New Jersey. I'm so glad you bought us full circle back to Plainfield, New Jersey. So I wanted to, everything you said was so amazing, but I have to start off, where are you from? Let's give people people a little bit of background. So we're from the same community of Plainfield, New Jersey and talk about education. Did your education take you to this field or were you totally off on another major? So uh, there are two people in my life. Uh, My first mentor, my mom, Mm -hmm. uh, and another mentor that you know, Gloria Taylor, uh, they remind me constantly that I was supposed to go to uh, law school and be an attorney. Uh, One of the bits of advice, and we, I'm going to intermingle it in, we talked about was uh, I I graduated from Penn State. I graduated from Plainfield High School. Okay. Uh, And when I finished at Penn State, I needed a break. I just didn't want to go right to law school. So I took a year off. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, 25 years later, I have crafted a career uh, in a place that didn't really exist. So now you can 
uh, enter a career in real estate development, real estate finance. But when I first started out, it really didn't exist. It okay. wasn't there as a place to go. And I trailblazed and created opportunities for myself uh, that started working for the city of Plainfield, moving on to work for Governor Christy Whitman, and then ultimately landing at the Redevelopment Authority to shape programs and financing to help improve the quality of life in communities around the state of New Jersey. I do want to point out, since you called this the boss thing, I am the mm -hmm. first African-American female to head a financing authority in the state of yes. New Jersey. Yes, let's give you and applause. Thank you. Let's thank give you. you applause right there. And uh, we've done some research and I'm the only African-American woman in the country uh, that heads up an entity like this. So it's exciting. It's lonely, but it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, I was about to say, what does that mean to you to be the um, only African-American woman? It means that we need more and that my job is to open up more doors and create more opportunities for African-American women mm -hmm. to access this, whether I do it by going to talk at colleges and universities, whether I do it by creating employment opportunities at the Redevelopment Authority. Mm -hmm. uh, there, are, there are many Black women in, in private industry and banking, but this is a sweet spot Mm -hmm. uh, government because it lets me fulfill the uh, social worker in me balancing the finance in me. So okay. when I undertake a project, I'm not concerned just about the brick and mortar. I'm mm -hmm. also concerned about the children and ultimately the people that will live or become a part of that project. So that, that that's the fun uh, that I like in what I do. So I love everything you just said, right out of college and working for the city of Plainfield, and then you worked for one of the governors, and then you went into the, the um, position that you have now as the president and CEO of the New Jersey Redevelopment Authority. Now, did you know that you wanted to go into redevelopment for the state of New Jersey, or was that something that, you know, life changes for people? So. Did you find that that was a passion and a need that you needed to go in for service? So Tamia, one of the things that, and I know that you have them and I encourage you to have as many as you can. Mm -hmm. I had a mentor and in mm -hmm. working for uh, Governor Whitman, mm -hmm. uh, my mentor Gil Medina saw this opportunity. Uh, Governor Whitman, uh, the legislation was approved creating the redevelopment authority. And Gil Medina said, hey, I want Leslie to come over and be, the uh, deputy. He saw my work as mm -hmm. a policy advisor, but more importantly, he saw my passion mm -hmm. and he wanted to create a legacy for the organization that would be long lasting and that could be rec replicated and sustainable. So if you asked me when I was 12, if I yeah. wanted to be the president and CEO of the mm -hmm. Redevelopment Authority, Probably not. I would have said to you, I wanted to be a lawyer, mm -hmm. but uh, Mrs. Taylor and mommy, my negotiating skills and a lot of the skills that lawyers employ, I use every day when I walk into a room and negotiate with developers or negotiate with municipalities or fight for communities, yeah. uh, absolutely get the things that they need. So I'm not a lawyer by trade, but I'm a lawyer in my heart. Mm -hmm. Now, is your, is your, is a job in the office that you work with, is it solely state supported or is it government supported? Um, actually, we have not received a full appropriation from the state okay. uh, since 2002. So we actually run like a business, we're a bank. 
So the way that I am able to function is that we finance projects, we charge interest, we charge fees, we have to make sure that we get repaid so that the money comes back in so that we can lend it out again. So essentially, we're a self-sustaining organization. And um, while we uh, don't have the accountability to shareholders, we have an accountability to the taxpayers of New Jersey to make sure that we invest our resources responsibly. Okay. So, um, um, you know, in a nutshell, I'm like a bank. Okay. That's what I wanted to get more and talk to you more about what the redevelopment was all about, because solely I, when I think about it, you have a hand and a part on all big commercial industrial things that go on in the state of New Jersey. What is one of your biggest projects you've ever done? So let, let, let's not talk about biggest. Let's talk about favorite. I have okay, favorite. favorite. Okay, I, I love that word. I have favorite projects. Uh, one of my um, absolute favorite projects is a project in the city of Jersey City. I'm going to talk about a project in Plainfield, but it's in Jersey City. It's called the Dr. Lena Edwards Apartments. It's on Ocean Avenue in Jersey City. Okay. Uh, it was a fully contaminated site. Uh, it okay. took years to clean it up. Uh, there had been a gas station on the site. There was some manufacturing use on the site. So it had to be cleaned up so that you could put the residential units uh, on the site. When we went for the uh, ribbon cutting, one of the brothers from the community came and said, what y'all doing, right? Because he felt that our project was kind of going to mess up mm, the his entrepreneurial opportunities. Yes. You know what I'm saying. Yes. So uh, the developer who also happened to be African-American was like, Leslie, you're not going out there to talk to him. You stay mm -hmm. inside the, uh, the fenced in area. So when we went back for the ribbon cutting, mm -hmm. I didn't recognize the project. Uh, mm -hmm. There were about uh, 80 units of affordable housing to Mia. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was that they were one, two and three bedroom units. Wow. And it meant that families were going to move into those units. Mm -hmm. It had a beautiful uh, laundry room. And sometimes we take for granted when we grow up in homes that we have a washer and a dryer in our house. But for a mom with small children, not to have to leave the building on a day like this to go to the laundromat, but she only had to go downstairs. There was underground uh, parking on site. So they didn't have to worry about where they were going to park. Uh, it has a community room. It it and and the uh, units are absolutely beautiful, beautiful units. But the best part, and I hope we can kind of transition to one of my other loves, is that Dr. Lena Edwards was the first African OBG African American OBGYN in the state of New Jersey. Wow. And what we learned that's, that's that legendary. The, right. What we learned at the groundbreaking was that she owned real estate. Okay. And when she had patients who were pregnant and poor and didn't have anywhere to live, she allowed them to live in her apartments for free. Oh, so wow. fast forward, honoring her legacy, this building exists in Jersey City in her mm -hmm. honor. But I want to tell you the best part of it. What I learned at the uh, groundbreaking was that okay. she was a doctor. She was a doctor. <laughs> I know that was super sweet for you super sweet for super me. Sweet. But let me tell you real quick about the project in Plainfield. Okay. Uh, it's ABC Supply and on the corner of um, 
Grand Avenue and South Second Street are now about 68 units of affordable housing. Okay. Uh, I rode by the other day and it looks like people are starting to move in. But again, one, two and three bedroom apartments that wow. give families an opportunity to, to like have a quality of life. Um, and, and, and I say this all the time. We all live in affordable housing. We live in what we can afford. Mm -hmm. Some people can afford more. Some people can afford less. So, you know, I'm proud of that project in Plainfield because when I was growing up, it was just a complete eyesore on South 2nd Street. And, and now we kept ABC Supply in Plainfield mm -hmm. and we have affordable housing there. So those are two projects that I could highlight. There's tons more, but mm -hmm. those are the two I'm going to highlight. And I would say that's super sweet just thinking about it because when I tell you it is something that catches your eye when you drive mm -hmm. past and to know that you had something to do with that. I didn't even, I didn't even put two and two together when, <laughs> when I thought about it, but it's very beautiful. And I'm so proud of your work because you do a lot for the community. What is it? What, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your work, especially in inner cities and less fortunate communities who don't have um, the opportunities like others? Sure. Uh, the pandemic truly hurt the small business community in towns like Plainfield, right? Mm -hmm. um, when, when the governor did the uh, full shutdown and looked at essential businesses, a lot of our businesses weren't essential businesses, right? Businesses okay. owned by people of color. And what also hurt was they weren't traditional businesses. Yeah. So I found myself in a space of helping people understand how these businesses function and operate. Mm -hmm. That they're not the traditional Ivy League business plan business. Okay. And they make it work and they make it do what it do. <laughs> and they deserve the opportunity. So yeah. a lot of these businesses were locked out of the PPP money. Uh, they didn't initially get the CARES Act money. So we stepped into that space uh, initially to pay people's rent, because okay. if we could pay their rent, they could stay open. Yeah. If we could keep their land, and, and we, we understood where the landlord was as well. Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't see the landlord as a bad guy. The landlord needed to be paid to too. too. So mm -hmm. we stepped into that space. But what we also learned was they didn't have the capacity to do the online sales. Yeah. So they didn't have the point of sale uh, equipment. They a lot of these businesses don't have websites. Uh, they they didn't really understand curbside pickup. They mm -hmm. they didn't have access to the PPE equipment when it was time to open up. Many of them depleted their uh, savings. They maxed out their credit cards. So we stepped into the space. But what we saw, what I saw as the leader of the redevelopment authority was we had to expand beyond redevelopment and look at the businesses, the small businesses in the community and figure out how we could support and undergird them through this pandemic because it's not over, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. And I, you kind of answered my question. My next question was how can the black and brown business, businesses and communities benefit from you guys? And your, your answer with um, coming in and looking at the business aspect really answered that question because a lot of people were affected by COVID-19 and the pandemic that is still yeah. going on till yeah. this day. And I know yeah. you have a relationship with um, Governor Murphy. I know you stated that before. <laughs> you just got a shout out recently from him. So how does Governor Murphy correlate with the Redevelopment Authority? 
So um, Governor Murphy has an overall plan for a fairer and stronger economy in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a little different from his predecessors in, in this role because he sees the value of investing in urban communities. Okay. He sees the value of uh, not only having an economic development authority, but having a redevelopment authority mm -hmm. because he knows that there needs to be more work and effort. You know, we go into places to me where people don't want to invest. Yeah. We have to be, uh, our, our tagline is we're there first and we have to be because we have to lead the private sector into these places because they don't want to take the risk because they're accountable to their shareholders in terms of doing it. But in our accountability to the taxpayers, we have a responsibility to improve the mm -hmm. quality of life in these communities. So Governor Murphy supports that agenda. He's giving us additional resources so that we can uh, fulfill our mission and mandate. But I think overall and globally, his commitment to improving life in New Jersey for everyone uh, does benefit the Redevelopment Authority. And by doing so, it benefits urban communities. Mm -hmm. Now, ha have you seen within your own community that it took a very, COVID-19 really affected the Plainfield, New Jersey, well, Plainfield area of New Jersey, was that one of the main areas of focus for the redevelopment or they weren't as bad off as other communities? Because every community is different. I, I think across the board, uh, urban communities were hit a lot harder. Mm -hmm. and, and it was because uh, we're, we're seeing the statistics already that uh, communities of color uh, had COVID at higher rates than other, other places. Mm -hmm. uh, in communities of color, they're more frontline retail workers. Um, people didn't have the option to work from home. They had to go to work. Mm -hmm. uh, what they also have to do is utilize mass transit. Mm -hmm. uh, when you get in your car and you drive, you're safer than when you get on a bus or a train. Mm -hmm. And Very in true. a lot of urban areas, people get around by bus and train and at the height, like, and, and we're back at the height again, simply because, and I got to just do this plug because people won't listen and they're selfish, but at the height, the initial height of it, um, people were riding on buses and trains and it, the disease was being transmitted. I think in, in urban areas, also people need to be educated. A lot of times we use the internet and social media and they're simply not there. Yeah. That, that can't be the method of communication always. Sometimes it's just the old fashioned, hey, put your mask on kind yeah. of thing. And I think that's why we see higher rates. And just personally for me, my mom lost one of, and, and he was a good friend of mine, yeah. uh, one of her best friends. He was the first person to pass away in Plainfield. Wow. And it was hard, it was hard. Mm -hmm. uh, he was mm -hmm. in a nursing home and we saw later uh, how nursing homes weren't really prepared to address mm -hmm. and deal with the pandemic. So I'm hoping with new leadership in Washington yeah. that uh, <laughs> we're going to see um, a better addressing of the pandemic yeah. and the reality that it's here and strategies to save people's lives. Well, first, I want to say sorry for your family's loss and every because mm -hmm. the pandemic has affected everyone differently. So mm -hmm. I want to send my condolences to your mom. Sorry about her friends. Thank you. I will let her know. You know she loves y'all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to try to lift this show up a little bit, but I have to talk to you more about your position as a female boss. So has there ever been a time in your 
field of work where you have felt like your peers or your colleagues has used your gender as a hindrance instead of a strength? Oh, absolutely. 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 Um, Very early in my career, when I was the deputy executive director, we went to a community for a meeting. And I'm not sure if you know this, but the way I spell my name is the male version of Leslie. Yeah. So this gentleman was older uh, and he was waiting for Leslie Anderson to arrive. And I was there and he thought I was the secretary. You showed up. No, no, no. I was there. He thought okay. I was the secretary. And um, I had a colleague that thought it was funny. He said, let's play a joke on him. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we waited about 15 or 20 minutes. And he was clearly annoyed because he thought I was late. And my colleague said, oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You're looking for Leslie Anderson? And the guy was like, yeah, where is he? And he said, she's right here. Mm. So um, th- those are, those are, uh, some of the challenges. And, and I would elevate it to me to say uh, race plays an even greater role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if, if anything we've learned in this last year is not to run away from race mm-hmm. and the ugly way we can treat it in this country. And um, I have been drawn out of the circle by both black, um, white men and white women. Yeah. And treated less than um, mm-hmm. that I'm not qualified, that I don't belong here, uh, and and it's throughout my career. And I think it was the um, mentorship and growing up in Plainfield when I did that undergirded me to say I can do anything, and yeah. I am not less than you. And truly having a mom that taught me the true origins of Africa, and that I, while I am a descendant of a slave, it was the highest and best that was stolen from Africa and brought to this country. Mm-hmm. And that, that's who I'm a descendant of. Mm-hmm. And we just got to talk about, we just got to talk about black women and you know, we got to get into our black VP. Yes, Shout we do. out to Miss Harris, Vice President Harris. So what did that mm-hmm. mean for you being a black woman? You know that you are of a certain caliber. You are prestigious and you possess black excellence what does that mean for you when you found out okay this is officially happening she's becoming a vice president how did that make you feel um honored proud inspired Mm -hmm. motivated but what just popped in my mind when you asked this question was look out world you get ready to figure out exactly who black women are Mm -hmm. and what we're capable of accomplishing Mm -hmm. And not that we've kept it hidden in our community, but um, my, my first meeting, I have to share this, my first meeting with Governor Murphy, he was candidate Murphy then. Yeah. And I had on a red suit and we had gone through the meeting and it went really, really well. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the meeting, he got up and then he turned around and came back. He said, wait a minute, why do you have on that red suit? He said, are you a Delta? I said, absolutely. He said, oh, you have to stay in my administration because if you want to get something done, you give it to a Delta. He had served on the NAACP uh, national board with Deltas and he Mm -hmm. had worked with us. But but I also want to say all of the divine nine, that's the other part of what I'm excited about is that the organizations, most of which are over a hundred years old are now 
thrust into the forefront and people can understand the hard work that we do and not relegate us to college organizations, mm -hmm. right? We work, all of us work uh, outside of college on the alumni level, doing amazing things in our community. And uh, Kamala Harris being in that position uh, helps thrust it in the forefront along with the value and importance of HBCUs. Mm -hmm. For those who may not know what um, Delta is, can you give them a little background, a little information on it? Because some people don't know. Some people- Okay, okay, I'm gonna say it. Some people don't know. Go but ahead. you don't have time, but I'm gonna condense it down. No, no, um, no, we got time. Just give us okay. a, if you want a brief of- I sure, I, I'll keep it. Uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated was founded in 1913 at Howard University by 22 amazingly uh, dynamic women. Uh, we're based, uh, our founding was based in Christian principles and uh, without reading our mission statement, we are about public service and the constructive development of the black community. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a five point programmatic thrust that focuses on education, economic development, uh, we even extend beyond the United States to uh, international awareness, uh, social action, and I'm forgetting one of the thrusts. Uh, but I want to talk about our social action effort. Uh, in 1913, the founders of Delta Sigma Theta walked in the Women's Suffrage March. What is tremendous about that was the Women's Suffrage March was not about giving Black women the right to vote because we were uh, considered even beneath black mm -hmm. men. So it wasn't about the black vote, mm -hmm. but our founders felt that they needed to be a part of that movement uh, to give women and particularly black women the right to vote. And we've been that organization uh, ever since. They are strong in the Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, or Marsha Fudge is getting ready to be secretary of HUD, which I'm, you know, I'm excited about that. Uh, but across the country. And our newest chapter is in Dubai. Wow. So uh, in the United Arab countries, we now have a chapter that has a, over 40 women in it uh, that are representing Delta Sigma Theta uh, internationally. But we are, uh, and, and I could say it because it's my time, we are the best uh, organization of Black women in the world. You can, you can say whatever you want. And we make, we make the difference. We do. Mm -hmm. and, and we set the tone and we set the standard. And what I like to say is follow the leader because we are the leader uh, in, in improving communities mm -hmm. and setting the standard for Black women. Mm -hmm. And to say that Delta Sigma Theta came out of Howard University, we are seeing now in the time that we are in the society mm -hmm. we, we are living before people were thinking like, you know, HBCU was less than PWIs, that it didn't stand and hold as much weight. What does that mean? Why does HBCUs are so vital to the society that we live in today? I think it, it gives a place and a space for uh, African-American students. Um, mm -hmm. I have a dear friend. Um, I hope he, I'm going to tell him to listen to this. His okay. name is Chris Cathcart. And he talks about how he learned about the African diaspora and became in touch mm -hmm. uh, with his history and who he was when he uh, was a student at Howard University. He's actually uh, Kamala's classmate. Uh, and I think that's the value of HBCUs. They're also very strong uh, institutions of academic learning. They are not less than. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, I am a graduate of Penn State, but they're not less than mm -hmm. uh, predominantly white institutions. They're on par and they're the same. And, and one of the things that I think we need to acknowledge and talk about is why we have HBCUs. And yeah. we have HBCUs because uh, essentially around 1913, Black people couldn't go to Penn State. So okay. that's why, you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox now, but that's why we have them, right? Mm -hmm. And they weren't separate but equal, but they were places that were founded and created mm -hmm. to provide the opportunity for African-Americans to learn and get college degrees because we weren't accepted at predominantly white uh, institutions, mm -hmm. right? Now, maybe one or two here, but not, not in ways that we should have been accepted. And uh, they hold historical value to us and they're valuable today. They're mm -hmm. valuable today. Some of the best and brightest minds across the world have come from HBCUs. And, you know, it, it disappoints me to think that people think they're less than because they're not. They're mm -hmm. not. They're absolutely not. Unfortunately, and I think that that's the conversation with me being a college student. Um, I didn't get a chance to go to an HBCU. Um, but I think about it often, I hear the conversations amongst people and I hear the the back and forth and the comparison when really there is no comparison. I right. think for me, um, when I think about HBCUs, I think about a place where it's a place where we're all, where they're all proud to be black. Mm -hmm. It's a place where we all where they all or whoever attended that school can celebrate their history. Mm -hmm. So. I think for me, when I think about that, you made a good point. I don't think that they're less than. And I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of people in our society. K Kamala Harris is one of the people who is in the spotlight right now, but there's a lot of people in our Absolutely. communities, in our society that came from HBCUs. But to talk a little bit about education, why do you think education is important, especially for um, people of black and brown communities? Um, for two reasons, Tamia. One, it's objective. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't get the subjectivity of of some other pieces. So once you have your education, no one can take mm -hmm. it away from you. Once you have knowledge, no one can take that away from you. It's something that gets internalized within you, and then with that, so many doors can open for you. And what I want to say right now, though, is, is education is not necessarily going to a four-year institution of higher learning. It can be a trade or a vocation, right? Mm -hmm. the, the piece is, is to educate yourself and get the tools and the resources that you need to be successful, mm -hmm. right? So there's not one way to do it. I have a neighbor. Uh, he's an electrician. He went to school right after high school to become an electrician. He's doing very well financially right now. But what he also has is that trade and that education of being an electrician under his belt. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what's important about education. The other part that's important about education for me is I was fortunate enough to be around my great grandparents as a little girl. Yeah. And um, while they could read, they couldn't read very well. And they weren't because they were locked out of educational opportunities. So it is somewhat offensive to me that we could be in 2021 and there are young people that think I don't need to go to school and I don't need to be educated. Mm -hmm. When in fact, my grandpa, my great 
grandparents would have jumped at the opportunity. I believe that my great grandfather would have been a landscape architect if he had had the opportunity to, to go to school. high school, go to college and get a degree in landscape architecture. No one could grow flowers and not just that and design a yard the way my great grandfather could. My mm -hmm. pop-up was amazing at that. And his, his growth was curtailed because of racism. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if anything, I implore young people, uh, figure out what you want to do and get educated about it. And, and sometimes it could be self-taught on a computer. You don't, and you know, I used to do New Horizons. You don't have mm -hmm. to go to college, but yeah. what you have to do is get a plan so that you get the skill set you need to be successful. Ooh. That was my soul. I'm off of it. Ooh, she just dropped some jewels and some knowledge on here. That was amazing. Just thinking about it and talking to you because in 2021, it's important for us to be educated on something on yeah. be educated. Like you said, the architect and the electrician, they're educated in the field that they want to go in. It's important exactly. to have a plan. So being able to have an opportunity to talk to you and just really pick your brain a little bit about education, what you do in the field is important. Now, I know you're a part of other programs that are of service and are important to the community. What other programs do you head or are a part of that service that are of, ser sorry, that are of service to the community? I, I wanna say to you, uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about, and this is a part of Delta, uh, okay. I chair the GEMS program. It's it, GEMS stands for, growing and empowering myself successfully. Yeah, uh, it is probably the I, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the most rewarding things that I do is to pour into young people. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I owe it to the people that poured into me. Not to go to work and, and to think that work is enough because it's not, right? My legacy, a part of my legacy will be the redevelopment authority, but another part of my legacy will be all the young people that I've mentored over the years. I was on a, I'm on a new board, um, shout out to D Free Global Foundation. And two of my former New Horizons students are on it. So we're in the board meeting and they're calling me Miss Leslie. Mm -hmm. And the other board members are like, Miss Leslie. And you know, we explained it, but I said to the other board members, that miss in front of Leslie means I love you. Yeah. It means thank you. It means I appreciate every door you opened for me. When I worked yeah. with New Horizons, they called me the queen of hookups because if you wanted to do something, I could hook you up. And mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm also doing now. I know. Uh, with the gems. And even today with you, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I don't want to put out there that it's hard to get me to do a podcast because it's not, mm. but um, to be open and candid and to share with you, um, I, I want you to succeed because Thank when you, you succeed, I succeed and we succeed. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, that was so sweet. Uh, almost made me tear up because we go- We on camera, we can't tear up. <laughs> we go way back. Um, yes, and do. all the help and all the things that you've done, not even just in gym, but for my family, our family, the love that's there, it's, mm -hmm. it's history and it's legacy. And I thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. To wrap it up a little bit about, I always ask my guests, um, 
who is someone that you honor in your work or you hold as a positive mentor for you? Um, I have, I, so I have a lot of mentors, right? Okay. So if there's a bit of advice I could give to people, you know, you should diversify and have a lot of mentors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have professional mentors. I have personal mentors, but the two people that I want to shout out right now are my mom and my sister, mm-hmm. right? You cannot sure. get any two better people. Um, my mom was amazing. Um, just quickly, uh, when I was in the third grade, we lived in Piscataway. Okay. And I did a book report on Cinque from the Amistad. Okay. So I want you to appreciate how old I am. And so fast forward all those years, I'm sitting in a movie theater when the Amistad movie came out and I'm on a date and I say mm-hmm. to the guy, I know this story. That guy's name is Cinque. Cinque. And he said it, right? <laughs> He said, how do you know that? And I said, I did a book report on that in the third grade. And he said, no, you did. I said, yes, I did. And I have to credit my mom because she taught me and my sister yeah. who we were and where we were from. Mm-hmm. And being built on that foundation and not waiting to get it out of school, I believe made a difference for us. She taught us how to read. Yeah. She taught us our history. And that was important to her. So, you know, that first mentor in your life. And, you know, I'm the outgoing one. My sister is very quiet. But um, having that person in your corner, and she's an amazing accountability partner that keeps me level Mm -hmm. as well. And everybody needs that in their life. And I credit. Uh, my success to both of them. I wouldn't be the person that I am without them. Yeah, I love them. They're so sweet. Shout out <laughs> to Miss Suzanne and Miss Anderson. Absolutely. Okay, just I got three more questions. I don't mean to take up so much of your time. No, go ahead, honey. So I'm a big person on manifestation. I I believe that everything that we manifest will come true if we do the work and we put the work in along with prayer. So do you feel as though you manifest anything in your life currently? Um, Getting to this place where I am right now as the president and CEO of the Redevelopment Authority was a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, Politically, there were people who worked very diligently to take me out. Hmm. And I think through hard work in God's favor, I'm still here. Yeah. And, um, and I have to say this, um, I'm of a generation, I love Elton John and, and he has a song, I'm Still Standing. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that came after me that wanted to take me out, but I believe that God has his hand on my life and there are things that he wants me to do and he wants me to accomplish. And every day I work towards that. Uh, so if we talk about manifestation, that's it, that I honor uh what he wants me to do and when i'm successful i honor him Mm. and thank him for the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives amen (laughs) (laughs) because that just sums up manifestation it's all basically everybody what she (laughs) basically everybody what she just said was it's all in god's timing and in his plan 
And it took, and I, I want, can I just say something? Yeah. It took me a long time to, to be that. this person that's sitting in front of you right now. Yeah. There are people that know my journey that will tell you that I was impatient. I was flippant. Mm -hmm. uh, I was arrogant. I was okay. angry. I was rude, but it takes time to become this person. And uh, don't be so hard on yourself. And don't get caught up in the people who remember who you were. Okay. Focus on the people that know who you are. Because the people that knew who you were, there are a lot yes. of times focusing on your negative stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind people a lot of times, you don't know me now. Wow. And you only know half the story and a part of the journey. Mm -hmm. So don't speak my story if you don't know all of the chapters in my life. Oof. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm everything is really hitting home because you know, some sometimes you can't bring everyone into your future. Yes. Yes. So they don't know what who you are now. So don't speak on my past. That's exactly. a good one. I'm a please text me that. <laughs> I will. I will please text love. me that at okay. the end. But Another question I have is, where do you see yourself in three to five years? If you had to look forward, fast forward a little bit, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Uh, um, one of the two things I want to do, I would love to go um, and work at a foundation. Okay. Uh, I, see, uh, I see a lot of foundations that uh, direct resources into communities, and I have a, a, a lot of ideas about how they could do it better. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to go and take all of this experience that I have and take it to a foundation. The other thing I want to do is teach. Okay. You want to teach? Uh, yeah. On a college level. I really okay. do. I, um, it, it wasn't an aspiration when I was younger, but now when I look at young people and I've taken some master level courses, mm -hmm. And this is, it, it's an, it's the most honorable profession. Very true. But I want to teach. I really do. Um, I've been approached about teaching. What do you want to teach? Uh, what do I want to teach? Uh, yeah. I, two things I could teach. One, one I, and I don't want to be a life coach because, you know, you got to figure out your own life. <laughs> but I want to, <laughs> I, I would love to teach about um, redevelopment. Okay. And, and not just from a planning perspective, but from a comprehensive community development perspective. Okay. So redevelopment is not about buildings. It's about people. It's about communities. It's about mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you meet people that have their masters in urban planning, um, they're really good at, you know, putting little buildings or doing drawings and coming in and doing all of that. Yeah. But they're not good at taking the project to the finish line in terms of how it's going to impact uh, that particular community. I, I did forget to say at the um, NJRA, I created a training institute where I do, I don't actually teach a lot of the classes, okay. but I've created the opportunity for people to learn how to play a role in redeveloping their community. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I see people picketing and being upset about a project, uh, don't get mad, get educated and Damn. figure out how you could play a role in the process. Mm -hmm. You know, gentrification doesn't always have to happen. You could get a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you already know I'm a big Hamilton fan and yes. I believe firmly 
you got to be in a room where it happens. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you're, you know, and, and there's value to that, to our community. Right. Yeah. But Dr. King was also in the room where it happened. He yeah. met with entities. He met, uh, he met with Lyndon Johnson. He met, he was in the room where it happened. So he was outside, but he was also in the room where it happened. And yeah. that's what I want people to be educated about and understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's an interesting point. I don't know if I'll be going back to college because I'm graduating um, in the spring, but I would love to learn more about that because I don't think from what I understand from the programs that are offered at my school, there's not too many classes on redevelopment. You don't really hear too many classes about it. I don't know. Maybe maybe I am wrong. But... We're talking about it. I'm coming. Yes. We're, yes. we're talking about it. We're talking okay. about it. We're okay. talking about it. To keep that on the hush. (laughs) All right. It was good talking to you, but in all the words, I see you as a boss. But if you had to (laughs) describe yourself in three words, what would the three words be? Um loyal. Hmm. Honest. Okay. Funny. (laughs) Those are good ones. Good. And you're all of those. People trust me. She's <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, my love. Anytime. I appreciate you. If, is there? Thank you. Is there any way that people can connect with you or follow you on any social medias or LinkedIn or anything? So, so on. Um, and I gotta just grab my phone. I'm on Twitter. Okay. I'm on Twitter. So let's start with um, Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Leslie AA, uh, okay. my middle initial and my last name. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but I know you young people ain't on Facebook, uh, but that's just my name. And and I, I think my uh, Twitter is Leslie AA15. I'm on Twitter. I okay. am. Okay. And if y'all start tweeting me and, and, and doing it, then I'll get on Twitter more. Okay. Uh, but yeah, those are the three platforms that I'm on. And um, you can always reach out to me at the Redevelopment Authority, uh, landerson at njra.us. Okay. Uh, if folks are out there interested, uh, we do do internship opportunities. So okay, uh, wow. if you're interested in an internship, uh, let us know and we'll bring you on board and we'll make you work. We'll make you work. I was going to say, y'all see about. how God works. <laughs> I just gave y'all somebody to give you an internship because everybody's looking, including me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, listen, right. no, we, I got somebody else for you to intern with, but go ahead. All right. Yeah, I told you I'm the queen of hookups. Yes. I got, yes. <laughs> I want to, um, I'm going to shout out my girl, Tara Del Del from the Tara Del Del group. I have to connect you with her. And, okay. Um, I'll be looking she might have an internship it. opportunity for you. I'll ask her about that. Thank you. You're I appreciate welcome, it so much. I can't okay. wait till we can connect in person. I know, right? I don't know what the pandemic is so yuck. Yuck. I know. I All right. hugging people. I know. Thank you, my love. No right? problem. No problem. Hugs, virtual hugs. Love you, love you, love you, you so love. much. You and send that. my love to the family. Absolutely. You send your love to my, my love to your family. I love them. That's my family. Thank you. Take care. See ya. Bye-bye.
Thank you.